We're in a series here at Trinity. Uh, we're studying through the book of Acts, and we're taking the entire book of Acts, and we're taking a portion of the book of Acts every year right after Easter, and we're sharing and teaching verse by verse. Uh, and then uh, we'll go so far, maybe through the summer, and then we'll stop, and then next year we'll pick up. So we're in Acts chapter 2. And so uh, there are many of you that are here today, and uh, maybe it's your first time in church in a long time, and we're going to be talking about some things, and you're going to be like, whoa, how does this apply to my life? Or, you know, how does this apply to Mother's Day? Or, uh, and here's what I've learned in studying God's Word over the last 33 years. Uh, when I first started reading the Bible, I wasn't even a Christian. But as I read the Bible, I realized that this book is of supernatural origin, uh, and, and it is. And as I was reading the Bible, much of which I could not comprehend, I could not understand, it was as though it was written in a foreign language. Because after all, I'm, I'm reading about individuals that lived thousands of years ago. I'm, I'm reading about individuals that, that are unrelated to my life living, uh, you know, in, uh, in America, and at that time living in the state of New Mexico, right? I mean, how do these things and, uh, it re relate to my life? But the amazing thing about God's Word that as you study it, uh, all of a sudden, God begins to reveal himself through the word. And things begin to happen in your life on a supernatural level. And things begin to change. And God begins to change you. And even though you're reading or studying things that are completely unrelated to what you're facing in your own life at that particular time, God's word has a way of bringing solutions and answers and direction that directly benefits your life. You know, here's what I've learned. When we come to Scripture and it transcends all other realities in this world, uh, all the transient things in this world that are so temporary, and we focus on that which is eternal, God's truth and God's Word, something happens in us. It's almost as though when we take our eyes off of ourselves and our own problems, not to minimize our challenges or problems, and we get our eyes on God and we get our eyes on biblical truth, something happens. We no longer obsess over the things that we may be struggling with. And to obsess is to short-circuit the process of where God's wanting to lead you and what He's wanting to bring you into. See, as long as we obsess over what we're dealing with, we own that thing in our life. But when we stop obsessing and we look to God, we give God the ownership of the struggling marriage. We give God the ownership of our struggling finances. We give God the, the struggle that we may be having in some area in our life, and we get our eyes off of ourselves and we put our eyes on God. And what happens, all of a sudden creative solutions, creative ideas, wisdom from heaven can come into our lives and things begin to change for the better. So I took... Uh, an extended period of time to kind of do a roundabout here, because as we come now to Acts chapter 2, we're going to be talking about the day of Pentecost. And this particular feast of Pentecost, which was celebrated by the Jewish people for thousands of years, and on this first uh, uh, day of, of, of Pentecost when it fully came in Acts chapter 2, which, as you will hear, is when the church started, you're going to think, how does this relate to my life today? But just hang on. You're going to see how God's going to use this to bring about blessing, edification, exhortation, and comfort in your life. So let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Say that with me out loud. When the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now, the day of Pentecost had come 1,500 times, uh, 1,500 
uh, years or times before this one. But on this particular day, it says that it had fully come. Now it was come, it was come in the fullness of Pentecost, and it was not going to come and go. It was going to come to stay. So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they, the early disciples, were all with one accord in one place. We know later on in this chapter that there was 120 followers of Jesus that were in the upper room, and they were waiting for the promise of this, what's happening right here. They were waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Because remember, after Jesus was raised from the dead, for the next 40 days, he appeared to different, at different places, at different times, to different individuals, to over 500 eyewitnesses who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. Then on the 40th day after the resurrection of Jesus, for those of you that were here last weekend, on the 40th day, what's the next big event that occurred in the life of Jesus? It's called what? The ascension of Christ. All right? Then for the next 10 days, the disciples did what Jesus commanded them to do. In Luke 24, 49, he said, Tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So they were obeying Jesus. They were sitting in this upper room, and they were waiting for ten, over the next 10 days for the day of Pentecost. They knew <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost would occur because the day of Pentecost always occurred in the Jewish nation on the 50th day after the celebration of Passover. The name or the term, <clears throat> excuse me, Pentecost actually means 50. So it was always 50 days after Passover. And so here, here's what happened, <clears throat> verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. Everybody say, fire. And one sat upon each of them, and they were all, all 120, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Now, this is what's significant. God's timing is exquisite. All right? On, on the Feast of Pentecost, devout, affluent Jews from all over the world would come on this particular day to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Pentecost. What makes that significant? You see, uh, in the time of, of the Jewish nation, when they were in, in a united kingdom under David, then Solomon became king. After so David's son Solomon became king, Rehoboam, his son, became king, and the kingdom of Israel was divided. Ten tribes went to the north, two tribes went to the south. There was great division. And then the ten tribes to the south backslid. They fell away from God. So God sent the Assyrian army in to destroy those ten kingdoms uh, of Israel. And many Jews were dispersed around the world. And then many years later, the Babylonians came and attacked the actual city of Jerusalem. This is when Daniel the prophet, as a young man, he and many other promising young leaders were taken from Jerusalem and taken to Babylon. Many Jews stayed there in, in the Holy Land. Many were dispersed around the known world at that time. So now, uh, all these years later, these Jews did not come back to live in Jerusalem. They were living in different parts of the world. And they had acquired much influence and much 
wealth. So on this particular day, they would all converge back to the city of Jerusalem for this very special celebration called the Feast of Pentecost, which always occurred 50 days after Passover. Some say that there were over 200,000 guests, visitors, that were in Jerusalem at this time for this particular feast. That would be a gathering of people as large as the city of Lubbock. All right, so God's about to do something incredibly special. The day of Pentecost had fully come. This, my friend, is when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ was birthed into the world. So uh, they were devout Jews from every nation under heaven, verse 6. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And what you have to understand by that comment was this. These were affluent, aristocratic, Jewish, devout men that had come from all over the world with their families. And when this supernatural demonstration and manifestation of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost occurred, on this particular day, the Holy Spirit showed up with wind, the Holy Spirit showed up with fire, and the Holy Spirit showed up in this, this, this amazing uh, demonstration of people praying in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they heard these Galileans. Now, a Galilean, Jesus was from Galilee, his disciples were from Galilee, the majority of them, they were considered Galileans. Galileans in the time of Christ were considered the unsophisticated, uneducated, backwoods type of people whose speech had a very distinct and thick accent. You can uh, read about that in Matthew's uh, Gospel 26, 73. That, by the way, is what gave Peter away uh, when when he was being accused at the, at the trial of Jesus as being one of his followers. He's like, I'm not one of them. And they're like, your speech gives it away. Yes, you are one of his followers. So what's amazing here, all these thousands of people gathered, they hear, they hear these Galileans speaking in their own language, and they are utterly blown away. Look at verse 8. And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. These are people who were Gentiles, who were converted to Judaism. Grecians and Arabs. We hear them, these Galileans, okay? We hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. Verse 12. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Verse 13. Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. So when these devout Jews from all around the world, they all had their own dialect, their own language, they heard these 120 Galileans speaking their language in a perfect, the perfect dialect of their language. They're saying, this is a miracle. And they heard them speaking and declaring the wonderful works of God. You know this, it got their attention. 
And that's what God was wanting to do, is to get their attention. But then there were others who were there that day, and they saw the same things, they heard the same things, they observed the same things, and the only way, their conclusion to what they experienced was, these people are a bunch of drunks. That's kind of, you know, not much has changed in 2,000 years, right? When God pours out his spirit and people are being blessed by heaven and people's lives are being changed and a revival is taking place and people are worshiping God passionately and people are serving God wholeheartedly, the world looks on and says, what have you been smoking? (laughs) Nowadays, you know. In in Peter's case, in the disciples' case, they're like, they're drunk. We're going to look at this as we continue uh, in the weeks to come uh, teaching through Acts chapter 2. But Peter stands up and says, hey, hey, well, wait a minute. These people aren't drunk like you think they are. He said, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Happy hour doesn't start till 5. I mean, if they were going to get drunk, I mean, it's not going to happen this early, you know. (laughs) He's not advocating that, but he's simply saying, hello, 9 in the morning, nobody's drunk. And he says, I'm going to tell you what's happening. This is that which was predicted by the prophet Joel, that in the last days God would pour out his Spirit upon all flesh. This, he is saying, is the fulfillment of God's promise. Now, what's going on here? This, my friend, is the inception of the church. We're here today. (laughs) We have what we have today. The revelation knowledge of who Jesus is today. We're serving Jesus today because of what happened 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost when the church was coronated, when it came into existence for the very first time. Listen, you and I are a part of this. Our spiritual heritage is traced all the way back to Acts chapter 2. Our spiritual roots are traced all the way back to Acts chapter 2. This defines who we are. You see, the movement that we are a part of called the movement of Jesus in the earth and in the world today. This is where it had its beginnings, right here in this crucible. This was the conception of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world at that time, and it has spread. The fire of the Holy Ghost that fell on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years is the fire of the Holy Spirit that's still burning throughout the world today. That's the same fire that, that lit you up and lit me up, that touched our lives. You know, once you've been born in the fire, you'll never be satisfied in the smoke. I've been using the word fire a lot today, and I keep thinking, why am I saying fire? I've been in Texas too long. That's why. It's not fire. It's fire. (laughs) But I've been saying fire, you know. (laughs) Y'all are rubbing off on me now, okay? (laughs) We were born in this fire, okay, and we'll never be content living outside of the fire, simply being in in the smoke of the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of the significant things here. When the Holy Spirit showed up, he showed up with wind. He showed up with fire. And he showed up with this heavenly language. We're going to see in the weeks and months to come that the Holy Spirit still shows up in one of the three ways that he was manifested here on, on, on the day of Pentecost. He doesn't show up with wind. He doesn't show up with fire, but he shows up fire. fire. He, shows up with, he shows up with this heavenly prayer language that we'll be looking at in the weeks to come. So these are the symbols of the Holy Spirit. But let's back up before we even begin to address the symbols. We'll do that in the next uh, installment of our, of our teaching. 
let's simply look at the day of Pentecost. You see, you ask the average uh, Christian uh, certain biblical questions, and they won't have an answer for you. <clears throat> you ask the average Christian, you know, what does, the, what does the Trinity mean? What do you know about the Trinity? You know, uh, you know what is the Trinity? And, and some might say, uh, you know, she was the co-star in the movie Matrix, you know, with Neo. But anyway, uh, no, no. Uh, the Trinity in the Bible it speaks of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. You ask the average Christian about Pentecost. You say, what's Pentecost? They're like, I don't know. When I, when I first heard the term Pentecost, I thought it was such a cool name, I want to name my dog Pentecost. And I thought that wouldn't be nice because then I realized there was actually a whole Christian denomination called Pentecostals. And I thought, well, that wouldn't be cool. Okay. But I really liked the term Pentecost. I didn't know what it meant. So let's talk about Pentecost because even though it was a, a feast that was celebrated by Jews whom you've never met, and you'll never know until you get to, to heaven, uh, and it happened thousands of years ago, it has great significance to you and I today. So, uh, let's take a trip historically. Let's go back in time to the time of Moses. In the, in the time of Moses, in the book of Exodus, particularly in the book of Leviticus chapter 23, God established this feast called the Feast of Pentecost. Once again, Pentecost simply means 50th. It was also referred to as the Feast of Harvest. It was also referred to as the Feast of Weeks. Uh, what happened? Well, God had seven major celebrations that he wanted his people in the Old Testament to celebrate. Feasts. These seven feasts, all of which pointed to Jesus. You see, my friend, everything in the Bible is about Jesus. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus. You see, every church that is a Christian church exists for one thing, to be a witness for Jesus, to talk about Jesus, to preach about Jesus, to sing about Jesus, to tell the world about Jesus. We're here to lift up Jesus. And the Bible says if we lift up Jesus, then all men will be drawn unto him. So here at Trinity, we are a church, say it with me, about who? Jesus, okay? He's awesome. We love him. We are radical about Jesus. So all of Scripture points to Jesus. These feasts pointed to Jesus. Let me talk about three in particular. There's the Feast of Passover. That was one of many feasts that the Jewish people were required to celebrate every year. When did the Feast of Passover occur? Well, during the, the Exodus time, when Moses was leading the people of God out of Egypt and into the Promised Land while they were still slaves in Egypt. Uh, God worked through Moses to bring about a great deliverance. Remember, Pharaoh was reluctant and unwilling and rebellious to let God's people go. So there was going to be a final plague. There were ten plagues. There was going to be a final plague that was going to seal the deal, that was going to guarantee that Pharaoh was going to let God's people go once and for all. It was when the death angel was going to come throughout the land of Egypt. And the death angel was going to kill every firstborn son of every Egyptian family and every firstborn of every animal in all of Egypt. God instructed his people because he wanted to protect his people. He said, you are to take a lamb. You're to sacrifice that lamb. You're to take blood from that lamb, put it on a hyssop, and you're to put it on your doors, the entry to your homes. If you fail to put this blood on the doorposts and the lentils of your home, then the death angel will visit you when he comes. So every Jew 
Every Hebrew followed the, the clear instructions of God. They took a sacrificial lamb, they took the blood of that lamb, and they put it on their doorposts and lentils, which, by the way, the way God described for them to put the blood of the lamb upon their doorposts made the sign of the cross, which was once again pointing to when Jesus would one day, Messiah, would one day come. The death angel came, and when the death angel saw the blood on the homes of the Hebrews, he passed over and judgment fell on the Egyptians. I want to tell you something, church. Judgment is coming to America. Judgment is coming to this world. And only those who, are, who have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ will be the ones that will escape the wrath and the judgment that's yet to come. God loves everybody, but those that reject his grace will one day have to meet his judgment. So the death angel passed over the Hebrews. And so every year, every year they celebrated Passover because it reminded them of what God did for their ancestors while they were in Egypt. Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 that Jesus is our Passover. He is the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. He is the innocent lamb that was slaughtered, that was slain. And it's his blood and his blood alone that provides atonement and forgiveness so that we are no longer appointed unto wrath and we will no longer be judged by God because Jesus was our substitute and took our place on Calvary. Can we thank Jesus for being our substitute? Our Passover. Now, as Christians, we don't celebrate these feasts any longer. Because those feasts pointed to the reality that we now have in Jesus. Now, we partake of communion. And when we partake of communion, we're reminded of the body of Jesus broken for us. Where we drink the cup, we're reminded of the blood that was shed for us, the blood of a new and everlasting covenant. And so in, in that sense, we still celebrate Passover because we still commemorate the death of Jesus and the soon return of Jesus every time we come together and we partake of the communion elements. So that's Passover. Now, here's what happened. The day after Passover, according to the Jewish calendar, usually it happened in April, the day after Passover was the beginning of harvest season. So the day after Passover was the beginning of the, uh, the celebration of first fruits, the feast of first fruits that led all the way to the feast of weeks or the feast of harvest or Pentecost. Pentecost. So what happened the very next day after Passover was what's called first fruits. Thank you, Tim. And first fruits is when the Jewish people would come to worship God with their first fruits. They would bring stalks of grain and wheat from their harvest, and by commandment of God, they would wave it before the Lord as a wave offering, all right? And as an acknowledgement that all blessing comes from heaven, all provision comes from heaven. God, you give us the strength to toil the soil, to plant the seed. You give us the rains that water that seed. And at first fruits, God, we acknowledge that you are the provider and you are the blesser. And we acknowledge that by an act of giving to you our first fruits. And what they were doing is they were saying and celebrating by faith in advance the harvest that would be theirs this year as God continues to make provision for them. So the first fruits, they would celebrate uh, the beginning of the harvest season. Well, the Apostle Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 23, that Jesus is our first fruits. At Passover, he died. On Easter, he was gloriously raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of the harvest that would one day come in. 
Jesus is the first to be raised from the dead, but he won't be the last to be raised from the dead. For there have been untold hundreds of millions of people that have been raised from spiritual death ever since the first resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But it also points to the time when all of us who, have been, who are dead in Christ and our soul and spirits in heaven and our bodies remain on the earth, that we will also partake of a resurrection and the guarantee that we will be a part of this glorious awakening of our bodies and being reunited with our souls as they go to heaven and they come back in their body is that Jesus is our first fruits. But this was the beginning of the calendar and the countdown to Pentecost. And then here's what happened on Pentecost. 50 days later, exactly, exactly 50 days later after Passover, the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost occurred and the people of God were instructed in Leviticus chapter 23 that they were to come to the place of worship the house of God, the temple, and they were to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, and they were to bring now two loaves with them, two loaves of bread. Thank you, Tim. They were to bring, and it doesn't say one loaf. It says two loaves of bread. Now, why two loaves of bread? Because now it's harvest time. And, and at the beginning of harvest, we thank God in advance that he was going to provide for our needs. And so the bread... Uh, would speak of the bread came from the wheat of the seed that was planted and the seed that grew and the harvest that was produced. And from that, uh, the, you know, it, it went through the process of the, of the wheat being separated from the tares and, and, and the wheat being, you know, crushed and all the process of producing bread. So they would come and they would bring two loaves of bread. Not one loaf, but two loaves of bread. What's the symbolism in the Jewish people? Year after year after year after year, for 1,500 years, they would come with two loaves. Why not just one loaf? Why two loaves? What's the significance of the second loaf? Well, on the day of Pentecost, it was harvest time. The church, something that had never been in existence before, you see, all of us are familiar with the term church. Matter of fact, uh, I've asked this in all the previous services. I'm going to ask this question to you in this final service. How many of you were raised in church? Raise your hand if you were brought up in a church. Raise it up tall and high, tall and high. Okay, that's about 90, maybe 85%, 90% of us. So we're familiar with the term church. In the time of Jesus, that word, that term was never used. See, the Jewish people understood Tabernacle, the tabernacle of Moses was the place of worship when they were wandering in the wilderness. They're familiar with what came next was the temple, Solomon's temple, that was dedicated to the Lord, and the glory of God showed up, and that became the centralized place, uh, uh, centralized location for worship for the Jewish people. Uh, they were familiar with the term synagogue. The synagogue is where Jesus would attend every Sabbath. Not everybody could travel a long, a long distance to the city of Jerusalem where the temple was to worship. So they had the synagogues in all the different communities throughout, the, throughout Israel. And that's where the people of God would gather and the scripture would be read. Remember in Luke chapter 4, Jesus as a, as a, young, as a young man, uh, before his official ministry started, went to the synagogue. And the scriptures were being read. He, he stood up and read from the scroll of Isaiah. Because they didn't have books, they had scrolls. He read from the scroll of Isaiah, and he said, Today, this prophecy is fulfilled in your ears. Now, we would have all thought that the people would have celebrated, Oh, Messiah has come. No, they took him to the edge of town and wanted to throw him off a cliff. Listen, 
You've never had enemies till you have church enemies. I mean, these people know how to do you in. Good. I mean, they'll take you to the edge of town and they'll, they'll stone you, throw you off a cliff, you know, whatever. I mean, these are some of the meanest people in the world, these, <laughs> these unsaved religious people. So uh, they understood the term synagogue. But one day, one day, Jesus was with, with his disciples and he took them to a place called Caesarea Philippi, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. And he asked them this question. He said, who, who do men say that I am? And his disciples said, well, you know, uh, I, I just saw one of the tabloids at the supermarket, and they said that you're reincarnated John the Baptist. Uh, a little exaggeration there. But that's what they were basically saying. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elias or Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. In other words, these guys are all dead. So he must be like a reincarnation. And, and so the world is still confused about who Jesus is. Ask the average Joe, you know, who, who's Jesus? I, I don't know, man, I'm Jesus. Okay, okay, wrong answer. But... So, Jesus, so Peter finally gives the right answer. Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the one all the prophets spoke about and prophesied about and predicted. You're the one that all the feasts pointed to. You are the Christ, the anointed one. You are Messiah, the son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus says, Peter, you got it right. Flesh and blood has not revealed to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And he said, and upon this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Upon this rock, I will build my, say it with me, church. They probably scratched their head and said, what is a church? They had never heard of a church. The word church in the Greek language, as the New Testament was written in, in the known language of that time, which is Greek, uh, it's the Greek word ecclesia, and it means called out ones, those that have been called out. So Jesus was talking about this, this new entity that was going to come into the world called the church. It's also referred in the Bible as the body of Christ. That we are all members of the body of Christ. You see, even though there are local churches in every city, and I'm not, I'm not talking about every church. I'm talking about special, specific churches. Churches that are Christ-worshiping, Christ-exalting, Jesus-preaching, Bible-teaching, Spirit-formed, Spirit-led, Spirit-baptized, where people learn about Jesus and fall in love with Jesus and sing about Jesus and pray to Jesus and fall in love with Jesus and the name of Jesus is preached and proclaimed. Those type of churches are what's referred to in the Bible as the body of Christ. So really, even though there are many congregations like that in a given community like Lubbock, there is really only one church. Okay? And we are all, though we might worship, slightly different. Some like it louder, some like it lower. Some like it bigger, some like it smaller. Some like it one way, some like it another way. We all might have different ways that we worship. We all better be worshiping the same God, the same Jesus, and we all must be led, must be led by the same Holy Spirit be, and learning and growing out of the same Holy Bible, okay? And that's cool. That's cool. Different strokes, different folks, okay? Uh, I like salsa, okay? I like salsa, 
and they have the mild, medium, and hot. Okay? And, and I'm telling there are times only the hot satisfies. And so when you're looking for a church, no, like salsas, there are mild ones, there are medium ones, and then there are muy caliente ones, okay? I mean, there are the sizzling hot ones, okay? So here at Trinity, sometimes we give you the medium, sometimes we give you the mild when I'm just talking conversationally, and then sometimes we give you the extra hot, okay? So you have to kind of acquire the taste for it. I know, I know, sometimes I come on a little bit too heavy. When I first started preaching here, some of the staff, I got to end. What am I doing? Oh, man. So when I first started preaching, some of the staff said, Pastor Carl, uh, people get real uncomfortable when you get really overexcited. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, they don't like your Pentecostal fervor. And I'm like, what's Pentecostal fervor? And I'm like, let me look that up in the dictionary. You know what I mean? And I was like, hey, listen, I'm sorry. Listen, I get excited. And I tried for a while. I mean, I took to heart what they said. I tried for a while being a plain vanilla, uh, mild, mediocre, boring preacher, and I almost quit the ministry. So uh, I went back to my roots. Amen. All right? Just <laughs> letting so, you know. All right. So why two loaves? On the day of Pentecost, 120 Jews that were already saved, because they had been saved right after the resurrection, 120 Jews, Hebrew Jews, whose lineage could be traced back to Abraham, through David to Abraham. Real, bona fide, God's chosen Jews were filled with the Holy Spirit. Of the 3,000 souls that were later saved in Acts 2, Peter stood up, when they were all saying, what's happening here, we don't understand it. Peter stood up, he gave one of the greatest sermons ever preached. And on the day of Pentecost, a great harvest, because the first fruits of Jesus, in John's Gospel, chapter 12, Jesus said, a grain of wheat must die. It must fall into the ground and be buried and die. For only then will it spring up to new life and a harvest will come from it. Jesus is that first grain of wheat that was buried in the ground for you and me. And on the resurrection day, he became the first fruits that were waved to, before God that said, he's the first, but he's not the last. And on the day of Pentecost, harvest, the feast of harvest came and 3,000 souls were gloriously added to the church. So no longer did we have 120. We now had a church of not just 120, we had a church of 3,120 <laughs> Jewish people converted to Jesus. Now, that's good for the Jewish people. That's what this loaf of bread represents. But then something happened days later in Acts chapter 10. God, through an through a open vision that he gave to Peter, commanded Peter to go to a Gentile's house and preach the gospel. And Peter's like, I've never shared a meal with an unclean Gentile. You have to understand, initially, all the early disciples of Jesus believed, they believed until really until Acts 15 and, and Paul came along and then Peter, James, and John heard the Holy Spirit and understood. All Jews believed that to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you had to first be converted to Judaism and then after you were converted to Judaism, then you could become a Christian. And God is saying, oh, no, 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 no. There's a second loaf I'm about to introduce and in Acts chapter 10, get this, Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to Cornelius' house. He's a Gentile. He's like a 
Italian Gentile, okay? He was an Italian, right? And his house is packed with Gentiles. And Peter reluctantly starts preaching. In Acts 10, starts preaching. And all of a sudden, everybody in Cornelius' house gets saved and instantaneously filled with the Holy Spirit. How did Peter know this? Because in verses 46 through 48 of Acts chapter 10, it says, And the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak in other tongues and magnify God. And Peter stood up and said, Whoa. This is what happened to us in Acts chapter 2, minus the wind and minus the fire, right? (laughs) Everything was the same except the wind and fire wasn't there, but the Holy Spirit was there, the same Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and they were doing the exact same things that they were doing in Acts 2, except they weren't speaking in this foreign language. They were speaking in this heavenly language, and it wasn't to spread the gospel as much as it was to glorify God. And Peter said, We have no right to withhold these from being baptized in water, for they have received the same Holy Spirit that we have received. They are now part of the family of God. The one loaf represented the Jewish nation. And little did they know, the second loaf represented all the Gentiles who would come into the faith of Jesus Christ and become a part of the now singular body of Christ. You see, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, When we partake of communion, we all partake of the same loaf, the same body of Jesus. You see, there's not not a, a Catholic body of Christ and a Protestant body of Christ, and a Methodist body of Christ, and and a Presbyterian body of Christ, and there's not an Episcopalian body of Christ. There's there's not a a black church, or a white church, or a Hispanic church, or an Asian church, or an Indian church, or this church, or that church. We are one church. We serve one Lord. We're part of one body, and one faith, and one baptism, and one Holy Spirit, and this is a church that is diverse and a church that is ever-growing and a church that we have all been called out of our lives of sin and now we become part of the body of Christ the living breathing body of Jesus in the world today and this is what heaven's gonna be like and we better start getting a little bit of taste of it this side of heaven John the revelator who wrote the book of Revelation in chapter uh, Five, verse 9. In chapter 7 and verse 9, God gave him a vision of what heaven's going to look like. And it says this in Revelation 5, 9 and 7, 9. I saw, behold, a great army gathered in heaven. An army that more than could be counted out of every nation, out of every tribe, out of every language group. And they were all standing together at the throne room of God before Jesus glorifying God. You know what heaven's going to be like? It's going to be a great gathering of people out of every nation, out of every tribe, out of every language. And we're all going to be standing in front of Jesus worshiping God together. And you know what, church? We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to experience that. The beauty of the expression of the body of Christ in the world today is what our church and and many other churches in our community and throughout our great state and throughout our great country and around the world experience. That on a Sunday like this, we see the diversity. You see, thank God we don't all look alike. We don't all talk alike. Unless you say a fire. (laughs) 
We don't don't all think alike. We don't all dress alike. We don't all smell alike. We don't all look alike. But what unites us is Jesus and that we are brothers and sisters and we're a part of the body of Christ, the church of the living God in the world today. And we had our beginnings at the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. I love our church. I love that we are racially diverse. There's white, yellow, red, and black, maybe blue, I don't know. We're racially diverse. There's there's gender diversity. I've been to some churches, they were all women. Thank God for the ladies, okay? We're like, where are the guys? I'm out of here, you know what I mean? Unless you're single, and you're like, oh, okay. You know, maybe I'll hang out for a while. You know, find the right one, right? Uh, so there's racial diversity. There's economic diversity. There's gender diversity. There's generational diversity. You have those that are young. You have those that are old. You have those that are really old, and you have everything in between. That's what makes the church the church of Jesus Christ in the world today. And God has allowed us to become a part of that one body, one Lord, one faith. And that's what the day of Pentecost represents, a great harvest, because Jesus died for everybody, and God loves everyone, and God wants everyone to come to the saving knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you today as we reflect and learn about the day of Pentecost, the day of great harvest, that we can be included in in, in the family of God. I pray for those that may be here today, God, that have not yet surrendered their life to Jesus. If you're here today with heads bowed and eyes closed, you've not yet accepted Christ into your life as your personal Lord and Savior, you could know him. You can receive his love and grace in your heart. He can change your life from the inside out. You can receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit, and your life can change forever. And a place can be reserved for you in eternity in heaven if you'll simply confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Romans 10, 9. If that's you, right where you're seated, pray this prayer out loud. Say it with your own mouth. Mean it from your own heart with the rest of us. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I turn from sin. I turn to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my Father. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Give me strength to live for you, serve you all the days of my life. Holy Spirit, bring your full blessing into my life with all of your gifts. May they flow in me and through me that I might be a witness for Jesus to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We love you all. Have an awesome day. Happy Mother's Day.